Hello, and welcome to Chasing Chalamet, a once bi-weekly podcast where I, Dane McDonald, Timothy Chalamet, Knight of the First Order, and a special guest deep dive into the filmography and the work of the one and only Timothy Al Chalamet. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the cannibal romantic drama Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. We're going to be covering our thoughts, our feelings, any critiques we may have, whatever we want to say about this reunion between Timothy and his Call Me By Your Name director, Luca Guadagnino. We're going to discuss Timothy's performance and his role in the film. What function does he serve to the story? Is he cast well? What does his participation in this film bring to the table? And then on a scale from one to five peaches, we're going to together grade Bones and All in different categories. We're going to grade the quality of the film, Timmy's performance, his attractiveness, and most importantly, his hair. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I'm super excited to introduce our special guest. You may know him from his many appearances on the Screen Drafts podcast. He's got a few projects coming out this December. He's got The Leech, Christmas, Bloody Christmas, a few things on Shudder. Uh, and I'm already forgetting all the great things he told me about. He's got his Godzilla book that's out as well, which is super exciting. Please welcome to Chasing Chalamet, Graham Skipper. Graham, how are you? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I've got so much going on. I'm so, I, I've got as much going on as Timothy Chalamet's hair uh, does <laughs> in this movie. Um, and that's a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to, it's, it's a lot. Um, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, Graham. I mean... Really, you know, it's it now that, you know, this podcast only comes out every so often, I really do get kind of like a lot of time to figure out who I'm going to be able to bring on for different episodes, which is super exciting. Um, obviously, as anyone who listens to the podcast knows, uh, I get to pull regularly from the, the Screen Drafts Nation, if you will, with my connection there. And when you think of horror i don't think there's another screen drafts participant that i come to quicker than you graham i think that you might you might hold the title for me of 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 screen drafts horror representative wow i'm honored i'm honored thank <laughs> you yeah i mean i i look i love horror uh i i have to admit you know when you asked me to see this movie i i, I knew nothing about this movie i knew zero really about this movie i had not heard about it i didn't know anything about it um, I, I'm a huge fan of Luca Guadagnino, but, but I was excited because you had said, oh, it's horror. I said, oh, okay, cool. Um, I was blown away by this movie. So thank you for <laughs> offering me the opportunity to go and see this film, which I probably would not have seen had it not been for you. Awesome. Well, I love to hear that. I'm, you know, and this is a question I, I ask a lot of our guests because I think something that I, something that I find really important with doing this show uh, is that I kind of come to the table as such a Timothy Chalamet stan that it's always kind of my intention to bring people on who, you know, might not, you know, obviously it's, it's I don't think you can kind of exist in the, you know, in the entertainment world today and not know he's kind of our, one of our bright, shining, young, leading men. But obviously people, you know, know his films to varying degrees, um, have varying opinions of him. So I love to bring on people who might not necessarily know all of his movies or have seen all of his work. So I'm curious, Graham, kind of, you know, like you, you mentioned not knowing too much about this movie before you came into it, but how much kind of Timothy Chalamet content had you, had you uh, participated in or viewed before you saw Bones and All? To my knowledge, 
the only Timothy Chalamet movie I had seen prior to this is Dune Part 1. Really? Well, you know what? Here, let me let me click on his name. Mm-hmm. Well, he was in Interstellar. I saw that. Okay. Yeah. He eventually turns into Casey Affleck, so if you forgot that was him, I wouldn't blame you. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, I gotta say, looking at all these movies, that's the only film otherwise that I have seen. That is, so it's it's Interstellar, Dune, and this. I mean, that's kind of fantastic, because I think you get to come on the show and present a very unvarnished opinion of him, which I think is super cool. But having having said that you like Luca Guadagnino, you you got to see Call Me By Your Name. I mean, it's it's just incredible. You know, I, I, I have heard incredible things about it. I, I fully admit that as a horror fan and as somebody that works in the horror world, I tend to see only horror stuff. I see horror sure. stuff. I see sci-fi stuff. Um, I, I don't see a ton of, you know, just straight romances, straight comedies, straight dramas. Um, sure. But I, I should see more. Uh, I should. <laughs> um, and I've heard amazing things about it uh, from you, especially on Screendraft. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see more. And I have to say, there is something. I mean, I, I jokingly tweeted to you, you know, that Shalomit Kid has something. There is something really, like, enigmatic about him. I don't know. It's it's different than like you know your I don't know if I'm trying to think of like movie stars right, and I think of like a Schwarzenegger who sort of like punches his way onto the screen. Like it's it's not that. Chalamet mm-hmm. has has a an, an enigmatic like a, like a power like an electricity behind behind what he's doing. Um, and I was really captivated by him, uh, the whole time. So I'm excited to be a new I I I consider myself a new Stan. <laughs> well, like I said on Twitter, we're so excited to have you here in Club Chalamet. Um, so I, I would guess then, with your horror background, you've seen Luca's Suspiria from 2018. Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. Which I, I bring up just because, um, I mean, I, there, I, there are so many parallels to me with that movie and Bones and all. Even though I would say the gore and horror in Suspiria hits higher highs than bones and i don't mean higher highs from a quality perspective i just mean suspiria really gets pretty bloody there at the end they both they're so choosy with the horror elements which i find really interesting because it becomes so much more visceral when they happen um and then actually and you know obviously we'll we'll get into the film and all of that but one of my favorite scenes in bones and all is the scene with jessica harper as Marin's grandma so just Right. I was thinking about Suspiria a lot watching this movie. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, because um, obviously if you, being part of the horror industry and, and really having kind of a, a claim in horror, I'm sure that you're probably used to horror films that are a lot more relentlessly bloody and gory and gutsy than this one. Oh, sure. I mean, but it's not, you know, horror is not about that necessarily. And I have to say, I love his Suspiria. I'm... You know, the original is one of my favorite movies of all time, so I went into mm-hmm. the new one with a whole lot of skepticism. I really like his new one. I like that it sort of unabashedly went different than the original. Uh, you know, the original is very col- colorful. This is very beige. Uh, the original doesn't actually have that much gore. This is super gore-centric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was thrilled when Jessica Harper showed up on screen. <laughs> uh, I was very happy about that. Yeah, I you know, it's curious that you talk about sort of the parallels. 
for me, I, I find, you know, his Suspiria to be horror that is very high supernatural, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's intensely big and grand and and you know like like the ballet i mean that's kind of what he, what he's doing with that uh this movie feels so grounded to me um it feels very down to earth it feels very realistic um the supernatural aspect isn't like supernatural at all you know like another movie or or a you know i, I might say a, a lesser filmmaker might say that that these are vampires or werewolves or something like that no they're just they're eaters. And I find that really powerful in terms of a storytelling perspective where, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we're no longer focusing on like, what, what are the things that a vampire can't do or whatever? Uh, we're focusing on what these characters are going through just as people trying mm-hmm. to survive, you know, in particular, Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet, as they go through this world, just trying to, to exist. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I love his Suspiria. Um, I think obviously they share a DNA because they're both horror. Uh, but I think that if Suspiria is his sort of high fantasy horror movie, this is his very grounded Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer horror movie. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you know this is this is Luca Guadagnino's first movie shot in America, and I think he taps into the Americana aspect of it so well and and not in a way that i doubted he could do because i i think you're right suspiria his suspiria is so beige and i think you kind of can like at least from his films that i've seen you can kind of camp them into these like hot sweaty like a bigger splash and call me by your name are very like european vacation vibes like hot people doing hot things and then Suspiria and Bones and All, it's a lot of muted colors and, and definitely Bones and All, not as beige as Suspiria. But I, I think, again, that's kind of where I kind of saw the melding of those ideas in this, because it is so, you're right, it's so grounded in the characters. And while there is this um, unnatural um, horror element to it, it's presented in such a way that, like, it's like, I don't want to say it's not concerned with the cannibalism of it all. But it's so obviously played as this like cipher for their outsiderness. And it's this like m- this idea of they're struggling to figure out who they are. And I've had that I've had that conversation with some people who've seen it about like, oh, this kind of seems like, oh, like an elevated, like, you know, vampire YA adaptation. And I totally see where they're coming from. Um, but it is so not preoccupied with the like spectacle of it all that i just find it to be so much more moving and intense it is about these two people finding each other and it's about um you know and and that's something you know i I think we'll get into this as we talk about kind of timothy chalamet's performance specifically but you know this really is Marin's story um yeah i just i was so captivated by the groundedness of Marin trying to figure out who she is and i i saw so many shades of you know um there's i think there's sexuality things at play for both Marin and lee's character it's it's just so much it's coming of age it's ro- like there's just so many ideas on the table and it's shot in such beautiful vistas like i just to 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 see luca take kind of his eye for 
the, you know, the Mediterranean Italian kind of vistas he's shot previously. And to, for him to find that beauty in the mid, as someone who grew up in the Midwest and appreciates it for what it is, and, you know, obviously understands what it is not, it was kind of wild to have him find such beauty in Indiana and Iowa and all those places. Like, it was just, it was astounding the 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 way he captured it to me. Well, and the that that beauty uh, sort of evolves as the movie goes on, right? Because early on, you know, Marin is in this very drab, horrible world of of these you know these trailer homes that she's literally locked into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that really interesting that as she begins to uh, uh, you know break out of that and start to be on her own. That things start to look a little bit more beautiful, a little more interesting, a little more um, exciting. Uh, you know, even the house that Sully takes her to early on, um, you know, he's scary. But that first shot of the house, it's like, oh, I want to be in that house. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a cool house. Um, I will say, too, that, you know, one thing that really struck me is when I was watching this movie. And again, I had no idea about anything about this movie. I, I had never heard of Taylor Russell before, but she's incredible. When I was first watching this and those opening scenes, uh, when we're seeing her talking to the girls and and she's like, you know, OK, I'm going to I'm going to you know sneak out and come see you. My thought was, oh, she's going to die. <laughs> like, that's what if this is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. She's going to die. Yeah probably going to be Chalamet is going to kill her. <laughs> That's how we're going to be introduced to the whole thing. I was thrilled to find out that wasn't the case. Um, but uh, it was just interesting to me that, you know, Guadagnino like really kind of turns everything on its head, you know, and introduces you to this character who, who, if this is a regular horror movie, you think, uh, okay, well, this is the victim. This is the first death, you know, whatever. Uh, he flips it all. All of a sudden, you know, she's our protagonist in this movie. I found that really, really interesting, and I was excited to have to then follow her uh, as as someone that is both the protagonist and the monster. Mm-hmm. So I saw it for the second time today, and the Reznor uh, and Ross score is incredible. I was so, incredible. so excited yeah. to didn't find out they were scoring this movie because I've been such a fan of their work. Um, but that being said, um, that opening scene, there's really no, like, sense of impending doom at least that i felt and so when uh marin does bite her friend's finger like it's not like there's kind of this like core lead up to it It, because it really to even though you know the movie obviously acknowledges that cannibalism is um you know of the horror ilk but again because it is so rooted in their desire and so natural to them it's not played for like straight horror right i was just so struck watching that scene about how i'm not viewing it through the lens of being horrified myself i'm viewing it through the lens of oh my gosh this girl has this desire that she has to feed and it is just so outside the norm of society well it's so sexual though you know that's Mm -hmm. the thing is that as i'm watching it and again not knowing I knew it was about cannibalism. I did not know anything about about Marin. You know, I didn't know she was the main character. I'm watching this and I'm going, oh, you know, she has this this want, you know, for this other girl. And mm-hmm. that's kind of her struggle, you know, and, and I'm watching that, that electricity that Luca builds 
in that moment of of them i love that they're under the table yeah you know it's like this weird like separation but it's not because you can see Mm it uh really beautiful and she's just looking at that finger right and she's she's looking at it and i as i'm watching it not anticipating anything i'm just seeing one girl really lusting for another girl Mm -hmm. and and this also being a very you know difficult moment in their lives i mean they're you know what like 13 14 and so obviously that's going to be something that's going to be a challenge for them and i'm watching this thinking you know in those terms and then she bites her Mm -hmm. and and she doesn't just bite her i mean she goes for it you know she like practically rips the skin off of her finger Mm -hmm. you know and that to me that's the you know i I talk about like with horror movies like that's the horror moment you know that's the oh we're in a horror movie now (laughs) um and i was really glad that i got to see this you know from the perspective of somebody that didn't really know what they were going into uh because that moment to me uh it was very surprising it was very exciting it was very sort of welcome you know, mm-hmm. and then and now I'm going, oh shit, what's she gonna do? You mm-hmm. know, now I know why her dad was locking her up. Um <laughs> and, and they and they and they sort of create this whole like mythology in that moment, you know, yeah. where where where, you know, and I don't know, normally like I don't know, if you see Twilight, which I don't hate the Twilight movies, you know, but but like the Twilight films, they sort of come with all of their own mythology surrounding it. Uh yeah. and this, I think in that one moment. You know, you've all you've known up until that point is the dad doesn't want her to go out. You think, ah, asshole dad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dad locks her up. Okay, asshole dad. Girl lusting after another girl. Okay. Young mm-hmm. lust between two girls. Then you have the cannibalism. Then you see, and, and, and suddenly dad's like, hey, we gotta go. Yep. You know, he knows. He's like, we gotta go. That kind of world building in that one like moment, that one like see that five minute sequence, um, really incredible. I I really was kind of blown away by that, and and I love the world that this sets up, um, that he then continues to build on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was really you know thrown off and and not expecting it, and I knew vaguely like okay, cannibals something. I think I saw a tweet by somebody that was retweeted a bunch of times that was like. Hollywood's normalizing cannibalism, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, really, really cool stuff. I think they're they're they they were working with some very uh cool ideas, and and I was definitely brought, you know, on for the ride. Yeah, and I I love that you bring up her relationship with her dad because I think so much of this movie is exploring primarily paternal relationships you know there is the stuff with Marin's mom and with Marin's grandmother so it's not you know kind of strictly about um you know father figures but there's a lot to dig into with Mark Rylance's character Sully who you know he doesn't seem like a traditional uh kind of father replacement for her and I think that's obviously explored through the rest of the film um and then as the movie goes on you're kind of getting more and more hints about Lee, played by Timothy Chalamet, his past, his father, um, you get some kind of hints about his family. And I, I love the way the film handles that because it doesn't become about Marin looking for a father replacement or, um, you know, a replacement for kind of that, you know, either parent that she's missing in her life. It's really about identity and it's about her trying to figure out where 
this desire within her comes from because from her experience that's not something from her dad and as the movie goes on she's listening to this tape that her father left her kind of explaining what happened and she comes to understand that this desire within her comes from her mother and then you you come to find out that lee kind of got this from his father as well um and yeah i love that you bring up like the film is um you know it's a cliche to say but it's showing and not telling like i was so struck by the chloe 78 scene where she comes in as Marin's mom you know, it kind of in my head, I'm like, oh, this is such a small little role for Chloe Sevigny. Um, not that she's above kind of doing that kind of thing, but um, I was just so fascinated that she would come in and do the small part. But it's so crucial because it really is this moment where Marin sees where she comes, you know, the, the, the camera comes in and you see that um, Marin's mother's arms are gone because she's presumably eaten them off because she has institutionalized herself. And that's you know what she's fending on um and i'm curious i i, I want to ask your opinion on this because i i noticed this on the first watch and i was looking for it on the second watch and i couldn't quite decide like where i landed on it graham did you notice that both lee and Marin's mom have these almost like crescent shaped scars on their cheeks did you notice that in watching it oh wow no okay i like I thought I was, like, going oh. crazy because I was like, that seems like a choice. At first, I'm literally sitting in the theater, and I see it, and I see it on Lee as well, and I start chewing on the inside of my cheek, and I'm like, is this something about, like, self-cannibalism? And then I was like, ah, I don't know if it would make that shape. But then as they reveal that Lee's father attacked him, and that's when Lee ultimately ends up killing his father. Like, I wondered if it was maybe someone else. Like, there's just so much that digs into kind of, um, it's interesting, like, like yeah, you, you, you mentioned kind of how there's this, like, mythology surrounding Twilight. In this movie, I would say it has, like, mythology, but just one that's, like, hinted at versus Twilight has the, like, you know, oh, they sparkle in the light and blah, blah, blah. Like, there's all these things that are, hinted at because you get you get sully saying like oh i don't eat another eater and you think oh maybe that's like a rule but then as the movie goes on plenty of eaters get eaten so that's kind of thrown out the window right, sure um so yeah i just i don't know i that was something it was a small detail but i just kind of again it's just in a movie that's so much about finding community and about finding kind of um people of your own ilk i was just so struck by those those small details yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I, had I noticed it, I would think that, you know, it would have to do with, with, like, with Lee, with his father, you know, maybe going for him at some point. I wonder about with Marin's mother, was it Marin mm. going after her at some point? Yeah. You know, this kind of cycle of, of destruction, you know, of violence that, that they're all kind of caught in. Um, that's really, really interesting man yeah i have to see it again i mean yeah and, and and like with sully you know the the whole you know i never eat another eater what i like about that is that it is a rule for one person mm -hmm. and 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 it it you know has these and i'm going to call it supernatural even though i don't think that this i don't know th this movie doesn't really treat it as supernatural like this movie treats it as kind of like a very real grounded thing but if I'm calling it a supernatural, you know, element of this movie, you know, Sully's, you know, statement of like, well, we never eat each other. I find it really super interesting. And I think I think world building that, in fact, oh, well, there are people that eat other eaters. 
you know. Yep. And and there are, you know, and just like I can't remember their names. Is it uh is it Jake? Um yep. Michael Silvoff's character, the, who, Jake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who who, you know, is is not a he's not an eater by like, you know, DNA or whatever, but he likes to do it anyway. Yep. And that's also like another element of it. Uh, you know, this a whole other layer of like, oh wow, okay. And then and then and then Marilyn's kind of disgusted by that, you know. Marilyn's kind of like that's gross, uh, and all that stuff. You know, I I I don't think it all has meaning, but I think it all has texture and and color, and yeah. and uh, you know, it's part of the fabric of what we're watching, and and that's what I think is so interesting about this movie is just how how textured it 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 is with these little elements that they keep popping in. I love that scene you're talking about. Um, it takes place right after um, Lee and Marin kind of go to this um, quarry, which um, having grown up in, in Michigan and Indiana, um, yes, teenagers do go jump into uh, bodies of water in quarries. I found that to be very realistic. Um, right after that scene, um, they stumble across uh, Jake, played by Michael Stuhlbarg. And I can't remember the character's name, but the other... Uh, actor in the scene is David Gordon Green, who's primarily known right. as a director. Um, but yeah, I was so fascinated by that whole conversation because Jake is talking about how he's an eater and he could smell them. And then um, the David Gordon Green character just tries it out. And yeah, you're right. Like Marin is kind of disgusted by it. And it was, again, it plays into that sexuality um, metaphor because again you're not entirely sure who these two people are are they lovers are they you know like it, it you, it's, it's it's so ambiguous like i just i found that all to be so and especially i I love that point you bring up about Marin being disgusted by it because there's this almost like self-hate internalized um i don't know what the fear of cannibalism is but whatever that internalized thing is that almost kind of seems to be at play in Marin's mind in that scene yeah, I I think too that there's an element of of ownership. You know, Marin like this is her thing. You know, she's now coming to embrace this as part of herself, and so to have like a poser, right? To have somebody that that is pretending, um, I think is is gross to her. Mm -hmm. So I think I think just as much as I think you're totally correct. You know, there's this kind of self hate that's happening. I think there's also a little bit of like a self pride of this is my thing you know this is our thing you know you you experimenting <laughs> is not re is not real yeah. um you know which i think obviously you know there, there's lots of layers there of like the queer reading of all this which i think mm -hmm. is is definitely a huge part of this movie so i'm curious kind of your thoughts on that too you know sort of as we move forward because um it, it's it's interesting to me as Marin finds herself and and embraces herself and embraces what she is she also kind of goes deeper into not valuing others you know you know that that are maybe like oh we, we're gonna tinker in this you know yeah. and, and and even too when lee has his explicitly gay encounter mm -hmm. you know before killing i sense some jealousy yeah i think that's interesting too of like well wait a minute mm -hmm. wait a minute we're trying to do this thing together but you're mm -hmm. doing this. I don't yeah. know. I find it very complicated and interesting. I'm curious your thoughts on all that. Going into this movie, I was like, and, and for the show in general, I'm like, all right, we got to talk about the movie. We got to we got to dig through all the corners until we get to the Timothy of it all, because that's obviously what people are here for. Um, but I think that 
you know, for me, the first time I watched it, you know, obviously as a Timothy Chalamet fan, I was like waiting for him to be on screen. And he probably comes in maybe like 25, 30 minutes into the film. Um, and then he, he got, you know, he's there consistently throughout the whole thing. Um, and really, once he shows up on screen, um, there just is this electricity that he brings. And I feel like that's when the story really kicks in, because obviously she's seeing this person who's going to have such a major impact on her life. And obviously they develop this relationship and this friendship and then eventually this romance. And yeah, I love that carnival scene. I just was thinking about my hometown's fall festival that whole time. Um, but they're coming down uh, on the Ferris wheel and you hear Marin say, like, I'm hungry. So he kind of gets this like, all right, like, you got to go out. You got to go. We got to go out and hunt. And, you know, he sees this guy and kind of marks him. And it's interesting because that's in that scene. Yes, he's on the hunt. And yes, I think the intention there is that he is going to kill and feed. But there is sort of this like play at hand. Like there is this like. I don't want to say he's playing with his food, but he's he's having fun doing it. 100%. It's not purely animalistic need for food. It's like it's the animalistic desire to engage and play. And um, yeah, I love that reading of Marin's kind of jealousy because I think she's almost looking for I don't even know if at that point she's looking for strictly companionship, but she's just sort of kind of coming into her own of realizing She's found someone who understands her, who can get her, and she's almost not ready to, like, give that up yet. And I don't know, I don't, I don't think Lee's intention there is to give, you know, obviously I think the intention ultimately is to, for them to feed. But yeah, there is this sort of queerness at play that's so interesting. And it's, it's funny because kind of going into the movie, just knowing luca's kind of you know his eye and his, his his way of telling stories i assumed there would be some queerness to the story so i kind of went in not necessarily like oh there's going to be some sort of like explicitly queer scene but i just sort of was i was curious to see how it was handled because i think i promise this will make sense my vampire history is more true blood than twilight okay so I have this kind of like, oh, vampires have been along for so long that they just kind of like to fuck anybody. And it doesn't matter what their gen like, you know, that's that. I don't know if you watched True Blood, Graham. I did. I did. I, I would say that my my vampire history is very firmly interview with the vampire. Okay. Like, I think that's firmly where I stand on vampires. Which is also very queer. So, I mean. Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. So yeah. kind of thinking of it within that context, I kind of was expecting some sort of queer lens to the story. So I was sort of thinking, not necessarily like, oh, cannibal, because obviously cannibals don't have the immortality thing that vampires do, at least in, in this world. But I was kind of thinking the queerness might come from that angle, whereas I think it very much more came from just like hunting and preying. And pr like when I say predator, I don't mean in like a, a like a sexually criminal way, but obviously like in a, in a hunting way. So I was just very intrigued by how that scene came about. And yeah, I love the, the jealousy that plays out on Marin's face. Cause there is this, like, there's this jealousy from the, I would say from like the sexual angle of it. But once they're like feeding, there's almost this appreciation, you know? And then I think that obviously all plays out in finding out that this character that um, Lee seduced and then they killed and fed on has a family. Um, and again, that kind of goes back to playing into Marin's kind of 
struggle with her her morals and what she thinks about how they kind of accomplish what they accomplish and and it kind of seems like throughout the movie they're confronted with all these characters where their I'll call them their cannibalistic ideologies don't align and Lee is really the one character who kind of is figuring out with her what it is that they kind of believe in and don't believe in as as cannibals if that makes sense sure i mean he's definitely her guide you know he's definitely like you know the the i don't know for lack of a better word the elder you know he's who sully is not you know sully wants to be lee for her yep uh and that's a whole separate part of the story that we should talk about but yeah i think with this you know it's just it's really interesting it's like there's a we talk about animalistic right it's like i think that lee knows what he has to do to get that guy into a position where he can kill him and eat him Mm -hmm. you know to, to to provide sustenance for his his family essentially but that doesn't mean he doesn't you know he can't enjoy it you know that doesn't mean he can't have fun um and i think that's what Marin is is struggling with you know is this idea of like we are well one (laughs) are they animals which i think (laughs) is a whole other question right Mm -hmm. two there's this kind of like polyamorous aspect to things of like i feel like Marin is kind of you know, she's new into this relationship and she's kind of along for this ride. Um, but I think she's struggling the whole time of, gosh, am I okay with Lee being with other people? Am I okay mm-hmm. with him being with guys? I mean, and that's a lot for a person who also is essentially new to the idea of, okay, I'm going to live as a cannibal now for right. the rest of my life. <laughs> that's a lot for her to have to deal with. Yeah, I find it I find it all really, really interesting. And And then you have... Then you have Sully, and I feel like we got to talk about Sully. Yeah, I liked Sully at first. Mm-hmm. I I liked him. I I I figured he was a good he was a good guy. He was helping out, you know, and he was helping guide her. He provided her with you know a non murder death, mm-hmm. you know, to feed on, you know. And then obviously he becomes you know a much more sinister sort of presence. Um, I'm curious, what's your read on Sully? What what what's your what's your feel on him? Graham, I gotta say, even after a second viewing, that is still like the biggest question mark I come away from the movie with is the Sully character. Because you're right, I think he is he kind of comes in I don't wanna say like wholly good. I mean I think in a in a movie full of uh eaters, it's it's kinda hard to say anyone's sort of like a you know, a a moral center, at least in the traditional sense. But he does kind of appear as you know at least the first kind of intro to this world of eaters to Marin, and there is something in that that kind of seems um if not outright like good then at least not malicious and yeah as that scene plays out and Marin is kind of questioning things and she kind of ultimately you know obviously gives in to her desire to eat once the woman whose house they've come into dies and i love that shot where she kind of takes her last breath and Marin can immediately like smell it and is like oh shit it's time to eat um but then she does sense something is off with sully like she does kind of sense there's something wrong and that's kind of why she like leaves right away yeah the sully stuff is so interesting because he kind of shows up once in each act he's kind of he kind of ends i would say like the first act 
Um, and then he kind of appears toward the end of what I would say the second act is, and then, you know, kind of the third act where um, he, he comes when they're living in Ann Arbor. At no point did I feel like he was a predator. He just, I, I don't know, I guess because there's there's kind of this back and forth that they have where he refers to himself as in the third person, and Marin kind of calls him on it. Um, and then he stops, but then he does it again. I don't know if like I'm I'm coming down firmly on this, but there is something there that where there might be some like dissociative identity disorder, or there's there's something beyond him just being an eater. Like there is something off, and that's not me making like excuses for what the character does or his character's choices, but he seems innocuous i don't know is that is that like a crazy thing to say about like a, a character who eats other people is that they're like <laughs> i'm not saying he's innocent I mean, not at all no i think he's the most lost character in the movie and i think that's so interesting because at first Marin kind of thinks oh like this is kind of my first step into this world this is kind of my uh my, my cannibal sherpa if you will um and then he kind of turns out to be and you know because like like we were saying he kind of sets up like oh i have these rules and then he has like his totems like he he seems to have it all together from the perspective of like figuring out what his cannibal mo is um but because he latches on to marin um he has this line where he's like you know you're just as old as my daughter if i had a daughter but he doesn't say like you know you're just as old as who, uh, who you know he, he he says it as if he has a daughter and then he doesn't so again i go back to this idea that to me I think there are just a few crossed wires within Sully um, beyond simply just being an eater. Um, and yeah, that is, I still kind of come away with that, having a lot of questions about the exact intent behind that character. What was, what was your reading on, on Sully? Other than I just think that, and I, I, I feel like you agree, Mark Rylance is giving just like a, a bonkers, amazing, fun performance. He's fucking amazing i mean everybody's <laughs> really good in this but if i'm i mean if i'm handing out oscars for this one movie it's i, I gotta say it's going to mark rylance um yeah i think that he is what lee or Marin becomes if they don't meet each other yep i think that you know and 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 i think i think that he it's weird because i i feel like i feel like sully doesn't mean any harm and this is me thinking as an actor too of like trying to get into sully's head of of how he excuses his behavior but i think that for sully it's one so rare to meet somebody else two i think it's probably rare to meet a a, a woman mm -hmm. that's also an eater i think three it's probably rare to meet a young beautiful woman that's an eater. Yeah. And then I think that his intense desire, as we all have as human beings, for companionship, I think just leads him down a very, very dark path. Like, he could have been a father figure to mm -hmm. Marin. He 100% could have. And honestly, I thought, in that first scene, I thought, oh, maybe this is the movie. Maybe yeah. they go on together. You know, and, and they could have. Because he did something good for her. But unfortunately, as men so often do, he took it a step too far. And he couldn't separate the sexuality from the companionship. Yeah. So it's really sad, you know, and, and, and when he showed back up at that gas station or whatever it was, I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, God <laughs> damn it, Sully. 
you know, <laughs> man, you could have gone on and like lived your life and like done your thing and been a blip in this person's history, but no, you had to fucking come back. Um, <laughs> and of course, then when he shows up at the end, you know, he's he's really the, the sort of catalyst for for everything. I actually made a note. <laughs> I don't know how much of a musical theater person you are, um, but but I, I wrote that Sully is the Aunt Eller of this Oklahoma. <laughs> um, kind of everything happens because of Sully. Yeah, totally. But I, I, I loved him. It's such an interesting story, you know, where, where obviously like the central part of this, the romance between Marin and Lee. Um, but then when you have Sully, who is, he's also kind of the Judd Fry, if we're going with this Oklahoma <laughs> situation, you know, he's, he's kind of the Judd Fry of this whole thing. You know, he's also the sort of driving engine of everything that happens. And it's so sad and tragic. I just think, you know, Mark Rylance's performance is so, so, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's such a great texture to this otherwise really great movie. Yeah, I agree. And I love that reading you you brought up of Sully is what happens if Lee and Marin don't find each other. Because there is a lot of attention paid in those final moments to Timothy as Lee in the bathtub holding the paper bag over Sully's head and almost it from that reading it kind of makes me think you know Lee is like killing this part of him that could turn out to be like that like it's it's really about you know like they spend the whole movie encountering other eaters who they kind of mutually decide they don't want to be like and then they have these experiences where they again like with the with the guy that Lee cruises, they kind of like find out what their boundaries are and what they are and aren't comfortable with. And in that last scene, it really is about them trying to put the past behind them. And that's what they're doing. Um, And I I love that reading of it too, because just on the second watch, I was so focused on how the camera like lingers on Timothy's face as Sully is, is dying. And then, you know, obviously like there's uh, is it. I was, I was watching it the second time. I couldn't remember if Marin and Lee actually like eat Sully um because Marin kind of goes into his guts and i was like i couldn't remember if she was just kind of killing him or if she was gonna eat and then the next shot there's like blood down her face so i'm like okay she 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 ate a little bit um but yeah i just i i love that that reading of it because i think it it gives so much credence to not only the way that that scene is kind of acted but then also in the act of then lee dying and him begging Marin to to eat him bones and all which you know it's it's great like in in i think it's worked because in reading you know reviews of of, of this film and in listening to reactions i think people are responding to the romance element element of it but it's crazy that by the end of this journey as a viewer like i was like yeah marin eat lee like come on like (laughs) yeah right yeah yeah totally you know and and i think that you know, there's there's ways in which obviously at horror, I think, can achieve those things. But like there's horror in like you're happy when like, you know, the, the final girl or the final guy like kills the bad guy. And then there's like rooting for the main character to like eat her lover. I don't know. I just I'm I just I can't believe by the end I was like so excited for that. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there you know, for me, horror is about what is horrific and and on its surface cannibalism is horrific right so what they're doing is horrific it reminded me so much of a play uh that Stuart gordon who is near and dear to my heart um directed 
circa 2014 thereabouts um based on an actual story uh like a like a real story uh of a guy uh in Rottenburg, germany who put out a post saying i want somebody to kill and eat me because that to him was the closest form of connection mm-hmm. and this is a true story right this like actually happened as i'm watching this movie i knew where this was going like i knew at the <laughs> i was like lee's gonna have Marin eat him that's this is what's gonna happen um it didn't disappoint i think it's notable you know Marin doesn't eat sully bones and all right mm-hmm. Marin probably has a snack you yes. know yep. she eats a little bit you know but she definitely eats lee bones and all yep the movie ends with that like shot of the pristine apartment or you know whatever yeah um which to me says there's nothing left Mm-hmm. You know, she, every drop of blood, every little bit, everything. When I, as a horror fan, think of the reality of, you know, Baron sitting there with Lee's body, tasked with eating an entire body, that's a lot to do, right? That's a lot to go through. She spent, I, I mean, probably like a, a week going through everything and doing that as part of her devotion to him. Part of her being true to herself and what she said she was going to do and true to her word, it, in my opinion, speaks a lot for her of the type of person she is that she followed through. She loved him, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that's the power of that ending sort of moment is she says, I'm going to do this. And then she does it. And then she moves on, you know, and then she moves on. In my opinion, she'll probably never eat somebody bones and all again. Mm-hmm. But she did for she did for him, and that I mean, what more could you want out of a romantic <laughs> partnership? Like, good God, you know, <laughs> I, I couldn't ask my wife to eat me bones and all, you know. Good Lord, like that's I don't know. It, I I I find it really I find it really romantic and really powerful and uh, and really beautiful. Yeah, and I think it speaks to the success of the performances and the filmmaking that, like I said, like by the end, that is where you are at emotionally, is like you are bowled over by that commitment. Because you, you, like you said, even even by cannibal standards, eating somebody bones and all is a tall order. You know what I mean? It's not like it's kind of established in the film that it's a big ask and then she does it. Yeah, I love I love that that element of it. And I mean, I just... I mean, if, if if I was going to eat anyone bones and all, I guess Timothy Chalamet, you know, not only does he make sense from a how much I adore him angle, but he's not really that big. So I guess like if you have to eat someone bones and all, like I think at one point there's a line where he says like he's like 140 pounds wet. So like I suppose if, you know, it it's still a tall order, but maybe not as tall as if she, you know. Maybe Michael Stuhlbarg bones and all a little bit more of an ask, but um, I I I I will say that you know l- looking at him, I was like, oh, you're getting a lot of butter, a lot of fat, <laughs> you, know, you know, something, you know, because that's yeah. pretty lean, right? Pretty lean situation. Yeah, that's 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 some tough skinny boy meat. But yeah, let's let's get into the Timothy of it all because I think this is a this is not not only just because as we've 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 you know we've laid out on the table you are pretty fresh to the Timothy of it all. So I'm super excited to kind of dig into his performance with you and um, his role in the movie. I think this is a really fun to dig into, uh, no pun intended, um, with him because 
this is the first movie he's produced. So I think that this kind of speaks oh. to, you know, where he is kind of looking thematically at his career. It's a reuniting film with Luca Guadagnino, who I would say Call Me By Your Name was kind of certainly not the biggest financial success of his career. Certainly that's either Interstellar or Dune. Um, but creatively, I mean, that's, you know, where he got his, his first and thus far only Oscar nomination. So clearly that's a very fruitful creative relationship with him. So it totally makes sense that he'd want to come on board and um, and produce this film with Luca. Um, but and and I'm curious kind of a to get your thoughts on kind of, you know, the, the part he plays in the movie and obviously his performance. But um, a theme that I've come back to again and again and again, having seen all of his theatrically released movies is Timothy as an actor always seems so game to play a supporting role to a female lead. And I think that that this is just another example of that, where even going in with kind of a, a vague idea of what this movie is, you probably go in knowing, okay, this is a Timothy Chalamet movie before you think, oh, it's a Taylor Russell movie, just because she obviously doesn't have kind of the, the star reach that he has uh, at this point in his career. But then you go in and like we were talking about earlier, um, this is her movie top to bottom. And, you know, obviously he plays a very big part in that, but it's her story. And you, you see the, you know, the beginning through her lens and all that. So um, again, I just, I'm, I, I'm always very impressed by his willingness to, to play um, either a supporting or an ensemble part, whether it be in this or Lady Bird or Little Women, he always just seems very game to be the right kind of cog in the machine and doesn't have to be the leading man. He is a great leading man, I think. Um, and I'm curious to hear kind of your thoughts, kind of obviously, because before you'd seen Dune and then seen this. So I'm curious to hear kind of your, your leading man, Timothy, and the big sci-fi Denis Villeneuve uh, film versus this. But he just, I feel like he, and, and you know, I, I haven't, dug into this as much so i can't say it with too much authority but a lot of times timothy gets compared to leonardo dicaprio because they kind of have a similar career trajectory and and again i don't i can't say this for certain because i haven't kind of dug back into to leonardo dicaprio's filmography but it seems to me like leonardo was always kind of positioned as like the leading man whereas to me timothy kind of comes in and just kind of will just play i don't want to say the most interesting part necessarily but he he comes in and he plays the part that I think he is supposed to play regardless of size. Does that, does that all make sense? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Uh, I definitely wouldn't consider him like a Leo because I think you're right. Like Leo, I don't know, in every movie he's in, he's the most important guy in the room. Yeah. Um, you know, it feels like, it, you know, in my very small uh, amount of experience, um, like with this, you know what it reminded me of? So I went into this going like, all right, I'm doing this for a Chalamet podcast. I know this is a Chalamet <laughs> movie. Um, you know, I'm waiting for him. You know, he shows up about half an hour in. What I thought of was I thought of like the the old, old, you know, tried and true improv edict of of give the other person the spotlight. That mm -hmm. you're at your best when you give the other person the spotlight. And I felt like he was doing that this whole movie. Yeah. He's there to serve Marin's story. And I, I think that's by choice. You know, I think he knows that's what he's there to do. You know, whereas like Leo, even in like something like Django Unchained, right? He steals the movie. Yeah. You know, that's that's Leo's scene. Um, you know, Chalamet, in, in my opinion, uh, in this movie is never stealing anything. He's never... Um, 
trying to take the spotlight. He's simply serving the story, uh, which was really impressive to me. Uh, you know, as far as Dune goes, I mean, Dune, you've got so much other baggage and you've got the whole, <laughs> the, the, you know, the book that you're adapting and you've got the whole universe and the whole thing. And I thought he was great in it. Um, I thought he was very good. But again, he served the story. I mean, you didn't see him. I don't know. He hasn't written a sandworm yet, you know? <laughs> Listen, Dune, Dune Part 2 is coming. It is. It is. And I can't wait for that. But I think it speaks to something where, you know, if we're talking about, like, Leo, Leo would have written a fucking sandworm. <laughs> Timothy did not. You know, Timothy served the story, which to me is a lot more impressive. Um, uh, and, and I think with this, that's definitely what he does. You know, he's he's there to be a part of Baron's story, and he's a big part of it. You know, but I mean, again, you know, he doesn't show up to like half an hour in. Yeah. And and he doesn't and, and even when he does show up, you know, he's like hopping over a, a little wall. He's not like <laughs> it's not like a bah, 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 you know, big moment. He's just kind of there, you know, and he's like, ah, oh, he's back there if you want, you know, if you want the rest. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. I loved how uh inconspicuous he was when he finally did show up. Yeah. Um and I think that speaks a lot to his choice as an actor, now knowing he produced this. Um, to, to being like, yes, this is the story that we want to tell. Um, that speaks a lot to him as a person for me. Yeah, I, I love that that comparison you brought up because I do like I you know, I I get the Leo comparison because, you know, you know, if you think back to like Leo in the nineties, like, you know, that he was kind of the heart throb and, you know, Timothy has been referred to on the internet as a as an art throb because he's kind of, you know, the millennial answer to that idea but yeah i love i love that point you bring up because i do think he has the enigmatic charm and spark that a leo would bring but he like you're saying he doesn't take the spotlight in doing that you can have that charisma and you can bring that electricity to the screen and not have to suck up all the air in the room which isn't always a bad thing you know like to, to go off your example i think leo is the best part of django unchanged so like you know Sometimes it it works to to do that, but sure. I, I think the strength of Timmy as a screen presence, in no matter what he's doing, is like you're saying he he understands the assignment, he reads the room, and he meets the material where it's at, and never tries to either outshine or oversell what he's doing. And yeah. I think that's so apparent in Bones and All because. He's bringing, um, and it's it's so I it's so funny that, or I guess not funny, but um, watching it a second time, I picked up on all of these like almost callbacks to "Call Me by Your Name," like the the scene where they're speaking with the Michael Sulbar character and the David Gordon Green character. There's a shot where Timothy like looks over his shoulder, um, and they're looking at a fire, and um, and again, I I, I hate to spoil things, Graham, because I want you to watch Call Me By Your Name, but there's a very famous scene in Call Me By Your Name where Timothy is looking into a fireplace and looks back behind his shoulder at one point. So there were just these like small moments like that that I that I really appreciated on a second watch. And it really colored his performance for me because I'm so impressed by his growth as an actor. And, you know, I, I think obviously you can spend a lot of time talking about his best performances or ranking his performances, but it's just it's just so interesting, especially in doing this podcast and watching him. You know, obviously I go back and I watch other Timothy Chalamet movies, so I'm not strictly watching everything 
in order of how he makes it. But watching his growth as an actor is so interesting because I just I see him bringing bits of himself, bits of every character he's played before to the screen here. And, you know, whether he's doing these like quirky little dances, like I love that scene where he's like dancing to kiss. Yeah, it's just so like fun to watch him to, to watch him do that and to build on his career and to build on his his creative relationships because I was I was looking at my 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 kind of you know obviously as a as a film nerd I have my letterbox and I was looking at my like my Timothy rankings and my letterbox and currently as it stands my favorite films are his of his are his works his two movies with Luca Guadagnino and his two movies with Greta Gerwig and he waters the gardens of the artistic relationships that he values and it just gets me so jazzed to think about you know are we just going to get like a Luca and Timmy project every five years for the rest of their lives and it just it just gets me so excited because i think I he truly so. yeah he i think he gives some of his strongest performances with luca and um yeah I'm, I'm curious to to hear from you what other kind of nuances you picked up uh in timothy's performance in in, in bones and all oh yeah i mean i i think well one i agree i think that anybody that works with the same director the same team over and over again you know you know that there is care and love there um Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate you know i mean again to go back to leo you know leo with tarantino he's done that a bunch you know we know that that's going to be a good result we know that they care about each other we know that that's a thing that they want to do i think it's the same thing with with luca and and with and with chalamet uh dare i say timmy i I feel weird about (laughs) saying timmy i'm gonna say timmy this is a timmy safe space graham i promise okay (laughs) okay um yeah, you know, I, I think that with this film, he manages to walk the line between having a lot of swagger, a lot of charisma. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that that I would want to date, you know, <laughs> well, while also being a really perfect foil for Marin. Mm-hmm. You know, he never overtakes her. He's got a whole lot of charisma that he's got coming into it. You know, he's wearing the big boots with the big spurs. You know, he's coming in and and is is doing a lot of work. Uh, but it never stops being Marin's movie. And that's a really hard line to walk for any actor, much less one who is clearly the star of this film. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's his name above the title, right? Yeah. So that that's that's really interesting to me, um, and I think that speaks a lot to his talent. I think his hair is great. <laughs> I think his hair looks great with blood in it. Oh, I love that reading, like because he's got that red that red dye job. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that reading behind it. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think he's great. I, I really do. I, I I really found him to be very enigmatic and very exciting as as a secondary lead um and i think it i really do truly think it speaks a lot to him as an actor that that he he never once takes this movie over from taylor russell um Mm -hmm. and and i i think a lesser actor would have i think you know if you if you had put tom cruise in this movie you know it would be a tom cruise movie um but he's he serves the material uh, and that is the greatest compliment you can give to an actor. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very impressed. Well, Graham, before we jump into the peach scales, I do have one more thing that struck me again. I, I, I noticed it the first time I saw it, but the second time it really dug in. 
I don't know if there's a scene that Lee appears in where he's not wearing what would be traditionally categorized as a woman's piece of clothing. Um, he, he, when he's first introduced in his first scene in the gas station, and when he comes home at the end, it looks like he is wearing a woman's top. There's a couple scenes throughout the movie where I believe he's wearing like woman's jackets. At one point, he's wearing this like very thin belt. Um, and it just it struck me not only because I think, again, that plays into one of the thesis of the movie, which is obviously blurring these lines between gender and sexuality and the exploration of oneself, but also just kind of subtextually and, and, and extra filmically. Um, there was a lot of conversation when Greta Gerwig's Little Women came out where um, Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet would swap wardrobes and uh Saoirse as joe would wear like one of timmy's jackets and then he would wear like one of mm. her blouses because there's kind of this um again you know of course me bringing a queer reading to the table of every timothy chalamet project but with little women i think there's obviously a lot to dig into there but i just again i think that to to, to go back to his performance he's just so game um and there's just this very like unvain sense where he is just willing to try those things. And he's not afraid of coming off as feminine. He's not afraid of coming off as, you know, to, to your point, uh, you know, again, with, with Tom Cruise, like, I love the man, but the man is never going to appear on screen ever again and exude an ounce of what could be um, perceived. I, I, to, to go back to what you said about interview, I watched Interview for a Vampire for the first time this year, and the whole time I was just struck by, oh my God, Tom Cruise would never let himself be this gay on screen again. Like, he just wouldn't. Right. And, uh -huh. and, yeah. and I, yeah. do not get me wrong, I could not be more excited for Mission Impossible Death Reckoning Part 1. I love the man. Top Gun Maverick was incredible. I've, n well, I, I won't say I have no bad things to say about, Com to, about Tom Cruise. We all know that there's plenty of bad things to say about Tom Cruise. But he is not at the point in his career where he will take those risks anymore, and it is so refreshing and interesting to watch Timothy do that because he's not afraid to cross those boundaries on screen and to play across gender and across sexuality and, and, and in a way that is so fearless and interesting and and yeah i just i was very very struck by by that choice uh within bones and all yeah i mean well and again he serves the story you know yeah. that's the thing i'm telling you like as an actor that is such a high compliment like that is what you do, you know, act well your part for therein all the other lies. Like that's the mm -hmm. whole thing, you know. It's like, and 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 I feel like so many people who are in his position, where he can fund a movie on his own, mm -hmm. you know, they're 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 like The Rock, right? Like I love The Rock, but The Rock <laughs> is very concerned about his image. Yeah, you know, The Rock is never going to be, you know, the secondary lead of anything. You know, mm -hmm. he's he, that's why he has Kevin Hart there. You know, <laughs> it's like like that's that's his whole thing. Uh, it seems very clear to me based on this that Chalamet is. Is there to make good movies mm -hmm. and he's there to tell stories. Um, and and with this, you know, I, I read a lot of Hawaiian shirts. Um, <laughs> I read a lot of uh, I, re <laughs> I read a lot of, you know, feminine sort of wearings of things. Um, but I, I felt that that fed into the whole overall queerness of their relationship, you know, yeah. and of their journey, which which I think, you know, fits as well. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, he's also somebody that's, you know, I mean, that whole first sequence, when you think about it, you know, he's got blood caked on his neck, 
mm-hmm. the whole like first like 15 minutes that we see him. That is not a thing that you would see like The Rock doing. That is mm-hmm. not a thing that you would see Tom Cruise doing. It's not a thing that you would see Leo doing. You know, this is uh, you would see every single one of them in some other movie would be washing their neck. You know, you'd mm-hmm. see them like washing their neck off, you know, or taking a rag. Mm-hmm. But he's like he's okay to look ugly. Mm-hmm. He's okay to be dirty. He's okay to to not to not be perfect. Um and that is one of the things that really really impressed me about him. It makes me excited to see more films of his. Well, Graham, speaking of more films of his, so I don't want to sell you short. So when I when I bring up the peach scale that we're going to have to rate the movie on, do you know do you know what the peach is a reference to in Timothy's kind of filmography? I I don't. I don't. <gasps> I don't want to spoil anything, but I I guess what I will say, Graham, uh, in Call Me by Your Name, there is a very very famous scene involving a peach, and I don't want to give anything more away than that. All right. Um, okay. So 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 that gives you a little bit of context, but beyond that, this is obviously just the way in which we 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 give a star rating in in these different categories. But instead of stars, they're peaches. But I will I will leave that to your imagination for when you get around to seeing Call Me by Your Name. Okay. Okay. All right. First, we're going to rate the movie on a scale from one to five peaches. Um, I'll go first. So I will say on my first watch, I was at like four and a half peaches like i was like i really liked it um you know but i was seeing it for the first time i was really excited you know you i feel like seeing anything for a first time first blush you kind of got to get you got to shake the nerves out a bit like you know i even though i love that first section with just marin i was just i was a little i was a little antsy i'm like when is timothy coming in where is he i gotta see my beautiful boy um on a second watch it really rose to a five out of five peaches for me because I was just so, I think not only did, you know, and, and, and I went on the first watch kind of knowing Taylor Russell was the lead, but I think I was able to kind of go in now kind of knowing the stakes and obviously knowing the little things I wanted to pick up on and the little kind of threads I wanted to follow that I had, had seen on a first watch. And I, 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 and I just, I was really, impressed by again i i brought it up earlier but kind of this the two sides of that that at least that i've seen i haven't seen a few of his older movies um but of the luca guadagnino movies i've seen like i said earlier there's kind of these like uh beautiful european travel log-esque films and then there are these very um it, it seems silly to call suspiria grounded but again lots of beiges lots of kind <laughs> of gray right. and rainy and like just very very dim in a, in a lighting sense um, and it, it just to see him do that for 80s America, I was just really impressed by um, across the board. I was really impressed by the performances. I loved, as we mentioned, I loved like the mythology and world building, but not like in a, um, you know, Marvel machine kind of way. Like it just it, it, you just we kind of came into this world uh, and it felt fully fleshed out and it felt fully lived. Um and on my second watch, it was just great to luxuriate in that for 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 two plus hours. And Taylor Russell, incredible lead performance. Um, so impressed by what the work that she was doing in particular. And yeah, I mean Timothy, he kills it literally and metaphorically, he kills it. So so I'm five out of five peaches. Graham, what say you uh, on the film bones and all? 
Uh, wow. You know, I guess I got to go with um, my, my regular rankings on Letterboxd. If I give something five out of five stars, that means it's literally one of the best films ever made. Okay. Uh, it, you know, it's it's that's to me, five out of five is like the Helen of Troy, the incredible. Holy shit. Sure. Um, so if I'm going off of that metric, um, I'm going to give this a solid four out of five peaches, yeah. which is a very good ranking for me. Um, yeah. I was really impressed. Uh, I knew nothing going in. I was totally captivated the whole time. I could see someone knocking this movie for being somewhat predictable because at a certain point, I, I, I specifically thought in my head, oh, he's going to ask her to eat him bones and all. <laughs> but the emotional journey you go on and the point at which that happens is still so emotional and affecting that that doesn't matter uh, mm -hmm. to me. Um, yeah. So I'm going to give it a solid a solid four to five, which again, I pretty much never give a four to half. Um, and five out of five is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, gotcha. that's like, you know, the, the best movie ever made. So sure. that's where that's where I am. Yeah, no, four, four out of five peaches. That is, that is nothing to shake a peach at, if you ask me. Um, yeah. All right, moving on to Timothy's performance. I mean... God, sometimes I feel like such a kiss ass on this show, which I mean, I guess is is silly to even bring up because when you center a Timothy Chalamet podcast on Timothy Chalamet, one of you know obviously who I consider to be the great actor of his time, um, it seems silly that I should be like looking for reasons not to give a five out of five peaches on performance, but like I I think I gotta do it. Like I it it really is a five out of five peach performance for me because. Again, as we said, he he meets the story where it's at. He seems so game, to, like like you were mentioning, just to be bloody and to be, you know, I I, I it's a stretch to say ugly because I mean, look at the man, look at the cheekbones. You can't, you got to do a lot of work to make that ugly. And I I've yet <laughs> to see a director actually make him ugly, even with you know some some questionable haircuts here and there. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a five out of five for me. It's just it's a really interesting performance i think the emotional vulnerability he shows as he begins to open up throughout the film with marin is really special um i love just the way they they kind of push each other and and yeah i think it's it's so i, I think he gets a lot of you know he i guess i wouldn't say a lot he gets he gets a couple really solid moments to shine as a solo performer but so much of this movie is playing against taylor russell and like we said, he does that in a way that doesn't steal the spotlight that I just was really impressed by the subtlety there. And and yeah, I, it, it really, I think, is one of my favorite performances of his. It's a, it's a five out of five for me. I mean, I got to say, I, you know, not having a, 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 I don't know, a lot of uh, other performances of his to go off of, I'm going to give it a five out of five as well. Um, nice. And I will say this. Uh, have you seen Killer Joe? Do you know the film Killer Joe? Yep, I have. So, to me, Timothy Chalamet in this film is is a Killer Joe, but a Killer Joe that you want everything to work out for. <laughs> I love um, I love that. You know, he's got the swagger, he's got the charisma, he's got he's got the aura that I think McConaughey in that movie exudes. Um, but you still love him. 
mm-hmm. you still really want you want him to end up you know in a place where he wants to be and where he wants to be is in taylor russell's gullet <laughs> and he gets that and it there's kind of a horror silliness to the whole thing but i i think he really you know from the second he walks on screen he serves the film he serves the story you know he 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 takes a spotlight when he's supposed to um but otherwise he lets this be taylor russell's film and at times he lets this be mark Rylance's film and uh i was super impressed so yeah uh, five out of five for me awesome i love it graham all right, moving on to his attractiveness. Okay, so so I got I got to say table stakes for me here. I went into this one a little I don't want to say nervous, but for me from the trailers, from the promotional materials, I didn't know how the mullet was going to work. And I know I I know there's a separate category for hair or unattractiveness, but just you know, obviously the hair plays into it. I didn't know, I didn't know where that was going to land for me. I will say, having seen the film, he is very, very attractive. Whether he's got blood running down his chest, whether he's cleaned up, you know, what, you know, I, he is very, very attractive. I will say, for me, I do gravitate a little bit more toward um the kind of the polish that he has in like a little women or a dune where he's a little bit more kind of put together because that's just what works for me that being said if you're gonna pick up a bad boy badass cannibal in the middle of the midwest you could do worse than timothy chalamet as lee so for attractiveness i'm gonna give it a four by no means is he not attractive in this film he is but for me, I do like my Timothy a little bit more modern, a little bit more put together uh, than Lee. Though, like I said, um, you know, every, 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 every now and then you need, a, you need a little Lee in your life. So I get it. What about you, Graham? Fair. Fair. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm a bigger guy. Sure. I like some curves. Um, I gotta say, I think, I think he's a little bit skinny for my taste. Fair. Um, he's just, he's not, not a lot of meat on the bones. Um, that, that would be the only reason why I would give him it. Now, now that said, charisma goes a long way, right? So charisma and, and, uh, personality goes a really long way. That's why I'm going to go to a three and a half. Okay. Peaches just purely because he's, he's just, you know, if I'm going to wrap my arms around a guy, I want. I need I need a little right something yeah. there, um. But but uh. But but again, like you said, we all need a little bit of Lee. He's super charismatic. Um. You know, I'm sure if I sat down at a diner and had a conversation with him, he could he could you know sway me sure. one way or the other. Uh. So so I'm I'm gonna say three. I'm gonna say three and a half. Nice. No, I think that is that is completely fair. Um. All right. So let's move on to the hair. Um. So I've. Sh- I've shown my hand a little bit. The mullet doesn't necessarily work for me. That being said, I think that stylistically it works within the context of the film. Obviously, we're in the 80s. I think that it all makes sense. I do love the dye job. I think that um, it's a really, you know, obviously within, you know, kind of the Timothy Chalamet corner of the internet and on this show, we've talked about 
um, you know, the power of his curls and all that. Um, and again, I, I think for me personally, looking at the way the curls kind of turn into a luxurious mane in the the dunes and the ladybirds, that again is where I fall a little bit more. But I do like that the curls here are a little bit more center forward. It's a little, it's not like a full kind of buzz on the sides, but it's definitely more of a curly mop on top. And then obviously in the back with the mullet. So even though the mullet isn't totally for me, I will say just because we're getting curl forward kind of in the forehead a little bit with the really interesting red dye job, I'm going to go four to five peaches on the hair. I think I think without the color, I might have to fault it a little bit more. Um, but this is one of the first times, I think it's the first time we're kind of seeing him without his kind of just his natural hair color on screen. So it's kind of has that like new shininess, the new interesting thing to it. Um, so I have to dig the mullet a bit just for personal reasons. I love it for the context of the film. Um, but yeah, uh, hair, I'm going to go, I'm going to go four out of five peaches. Graham, where did you fall on uh, the dye job mullet? I love <laughs> the mullet. I adore the mullet. Um, I would give the mullet a solid four. However, when you add blood into the mix and you've got blood in that mullet, it shoots it up to a five. Five out of five peaches Wow! for the bloody mullet. I'm a big fan. Love it. Graham, spoken like a true Texas man. I think, yep. you know, I've only visited the state a few times, but I have to imagine Bloody Mullet has got to be one of, one, of, one of the Texas totems, I would have to imagine. The Bloody Mullet, I want that, I want that as like a cocktail. At like, a, at like my local bar. I don't yeah. know what that would be. What would be what what if you if you had to design a cocktail called the Bloody Mullet, what would it be? Oh man, that's a great question. Well, okay, so I think you think a certain person might go right to like a riff on the Bloody Mary, just with the bloody mullet of it all. As mm -hmm. someone who oddly doesn't love a bloody Mary, I'm wondering if this is some sort of like like tequila raspberry drink like are we are, ooh, like like ooh, like like maybe like i don't know uh you tell me like would we go in like the the tequila raspberry direction or do we go like mezcal tequila or mezcal See, raspberry ooh, mezcal's interesting i feel like i feel like mezcal's too fancy for a drink called the mullet i Fair. feel like it needed to be tequila okay um yeah i, I would definitely go with with a tequila raspberry situation is there like a world to see to me the mullet part of the drink you need like a splash of Coors Light yes. you know yep mhm mm like like so maybe it's like tequila raspberry and then like a, a like a floater of Coors Light and that's and that's your your uh, bloody mullet yeah Graham, i think i think we may have cracked the bones and all cocktail i think this might maybe. be it alamo draft house call us we know what to do I love it. Well, Graham, thank you so, so much for being on Chasing Chalamet. This has been a delight. Uh, I meant it when I said I could not think of a better guest to come on uh, to talk about, uh, you know, kind of the first foray into horror uh, for Mr. Chalamet with Bones and All here. So thank you again so much for being on the show. Um, where can people find you on the Internet if you so desire? And I know we mentioned it a bit up top. 
but please promote and plug away. I want to hear about all the great things that you've got coming up uh, here in December and beyond. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, this has been such a pleasure. Uh, and thank you for introducing me to the the uh, oeuvre of Mr. Chalamet. I'm very, very excited to be a new fan. Uh, yeah, gosh. So this month on December 5th uh, from Arrow Video, I've got The Leech coming out. Um, and then on December 9th, I've got Christmas Bloody Christmas coming out. And then on December 22nd, I've got Scare Package 2 coming out. And then out in bookstores right now is my book, Godzilla, the official guide to the King of the Monsters. Um, and you can find me, <laughs> funnily enough, I, uh, you know, primarily on Twitter, uh, at Graham Skipper. Uh, we'll see how much longer that is. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Skipstagram. And that's uh, G-R-A-H-A-M, like my name, Skipstagram. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's where I am. Awesome. Well, can't wait to check all those awesome things out. I can't imagine you have a bloody mullet in any of those projects, but maybe next time, right? I, I don't. I don't. I have a bloody beard in all of them. Okay. Yeah. That's that's close. Well maybe maybe next time you're on you're on the set we can we can do a call back and, and if I ever spot you in a bloody mullet, I'll know where the reference is. Please, yes, absolutely. And if not, we'll just share a, a bloody mullet cocktail next time that I'm in the Austin area. Yes, I hope so. I can't wait. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Graham, thank you once again. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram on Letterboxd. I'm at the Dane McDonald on all those platforms. Uh, our show, Chasing Chalamet, is on Twitter and Instagram as well. On Twitter, we are Chalamet Chasing, and on Instagram, we are Chasing Chalamet. Please consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share this podcast with the Timothy fan in your life. Chasing Chalamet is written, hosted, and produced by me, Dane McDonald. The show is also produced and edited by Will Bybee. Our theme music is by Jacob Horn. You can hear more from him and his band, the Jacob Horn Trio, on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp. As always, our cover art was designed by the lovely Jessica Deal. You can find more of her work at jessicadeal.com. Deal is spelled D-E-A-H-L. And until next time, later. Later.